1979, Douglas Adams asked the age-old question, what do you get when you cross Monty Python's flying circus with Doctor Who? The answer? The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's the zany tale of the last human man in the universe, cast into the inky void of space when the Earth is destroyed to make way for an interstellar bypass. This book is an indispensable link in the madcap chain of British humor stretching from Lewis Carroll to Terry Pratchett. We're pouring some pangalactic gargle blasters before we talk about it. So come along with us, don't panic, and for God's sake, don't forget your towel. It's time for episode 10 of Toasting the Classics, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. We are on. Welcome to uh, another episode of Toasting the Classics with Clint Lanier. Dave MacArthur. Back in the studio again. Yeah, welcome everybody. Doesn't sound like uh, your, your child's elementary class on on zoom right or <laughs> nor is there hammering and drilling and stuff going on in the background i could never hear that i could never hear that I no that's good i don't think i could either when i yeah. looked over the audio so hopefully that's just going to be lost to the ages right. not a problem if my voice sounds husky it's because uh i did karaoke until midnight last night with my wife we went a little crazy so did your wife know that that i went crazy yeah or that we went to or karaoke, that went, or that you went to karaoke i was with my wife Oh, you said your wife. I'm sorry. Miss, <laughs> I miss, was trying to figure out you. what that question meant. <laughs> yes, she was aware that we were at karaoke. Yeah. Okay. She was aware we were going beforehand. I mentioned it to her. We went to a terrible dinner in El Paso. Really? Was it yeah, terrible? we were supposed to go to dinner at this Lebanese place, uh-huh. which had three different addresses listed on the Internet, none of which were <laughs> the correct address. So finally we nice. just gave up, and yeah. we went to this uh, outdoor seating area, beautiful outdoor seating area. Got a plate of nachos. It was Doritos with sour cream on oh top my of them. God. And I was so hungry, I ate a couple of them. And then I looked at the plate and I said to myself, if someone brought me this, if I made this at home, I would just throw it in the garbage. What am I doing? <laughs> what, just wh- because it paid. You, where can you possibly eat? I mean, order that. Where did you go that you could order something like that? <sighs> it was pretty much just a drinking place is what uh, we found out afterwards. You know, we got like a shrimp cocktail. It's mostly just appetizers. They oh, had I decent see. tacos. Pub grub. We had some of those. Stuff, pub grub, yeah. but bad pub grub. This was oh, bad. Okay. It was yeah. mostly 20-year-olds. That don't know any that better. Don't know any better you know, yeah. So <laughs> it was pretty terrible, but we had a nice night. Anyway, I sound a little bit like um, Tom Waits. If I sound like Tom Waits Tom today, Waits. it's the karaoke. So. We do George Carlin. We just, uh, just talked about him. You think and he has a husky voice? In his later years, he was doing this. Oh, yeah, that's true. He didn't. He, he was a bit yeah. of a smoker. A bit of that's a true. smoker. All right, so what are we talking about today? We're going to talk about The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams. 1979 book. Uh, first of a series of, I think it finally got to six books in the main sequence. Very popular movie. Movie made, video game made, uh, BBC TV series was made out of it. Mm-hmm. Had you read it before? I think I read it when I was 12. Oh, wow. Maybe. Okay. Yeah, something okay. like that. A long time ago. Very comparable. I think I read it when I was about 15. Okay. And that, well, I don't want to give away my biggest surprise, mm-hmm. um, so I won't. But uh, Okay. I thought I had read it several more times, and it turns out I just had a 15-year-old impression of this book, as a, as in when I was 15 years old, and I didn't remember much. So, <laughs> why don't you uh, do you want to recap the plot for us? Yeah, yeah, it's probably a good habit to get into these probably. synopses. Yeah. Um, essentially, this is a book about a an Earthling who gets caught up in the destruction of the Earth by aliens. Uh, happens to have a buddy who isn't human, has, is from out of town. Sneaks him off the Earth at the last second. They end up on a ship traveling the cosmos that's piloted by the president of the galaxy, um, who has a ship called the Heart of Gold, which has an improbability drive, 
which is, by the way, a terrific writing device if you yeah. ever just want to write things into. <laughs> we'll talk, we'll talk about it later. But want, yeah. essentially, in, incredibly improbable things keep happening, such as rescuing the two main characters from floating in space. Um, they end up going to the planet that once created the Earth to be a computer to figure out the question of life, the universe, and everything. Um, they get mixed up in the defenses of that planet, automated, everybody's extinct basically there. And then at the end, they get away from the planet, and that's pretty much the story of the book. Yeah, well, they uh, go they go to a diner at the end of the universe. That's, that's where they're headed for the next yeah. book. Yeah, they mentioned that. That's right. So yeah. that's where they're headed. I don't know if it comes across from my synopsis, but the plot is not the strongest thing about this book. It's mostly style. It's mostly right. the comedy, um, the way that Douglas Adams writes is the strength. And how of the would book. you how would you describe that style? I mean, what what would be a good descriptor for it? I don't think you'd have to read more than four sentences to figure out where he's from, which is. England, right? It's a very British style of humor. Yeah, um, which is, which is, dry, dry, but sarcastic. Mm -hmm. Everything's understated. Mm -hmm. um, you're a professor of rhetoric. You probably you're probably familiar with Lachesis. Mm -hmm. It's just the device he's using throughout this book. It's always like, oh, the Earth was just destroyed. You know, I'm rather upset about that. <laughs> right. That kind of yeah. that kind of like understated British humor sure. uh, just comes across over and over again. Um, it's very smart. There's mm -hmm. a lot of, once you get past the zaniness, there's a lot of comments on science and mm -hmm. actual questions and physics and philosophy and things like that mm -hmm. uh, that are pretty fun. Um, I think that's probably why people still go back to it and read it. I think glib. What is, what is glib? How would you define glib? Glib, what is glib I think of as sort of shooting from the hip with the way you speak. Okay. Just kind of saying things without too much thought. Probably being kind of witty with it. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Is that does that track with what you think? Maybe I, I think of glib kind of as a bit like darkly ironic. Um, okay. When you are making light of uh, maybe very grave events or circumstances or something like that. Gallows um, humor, sort of. Pretty, yeah, pretty, pretty much. Okay. Um, they'll be like, you know, kind of zany one-liners. Mm -hmm. um, I think you could define as glib if, if the subject matter happens to be something about like the destruction of the earth, right? Or something like that, right? Um, right. Yeah, the yeah. whole device for the earth getting destroyed. It actually starts out with kind of a parallel because the main character Arthur Dent, his house is about to get destroyed right. by the local council, mm -hmm. um, which an expressway. Right. Who are building an expressway mm -hmm. through his town in the name of progress. The, the notice that his house was going to be destroyed was kept in the main office in the basement where the stairs had gone out. And there was a sign that says, beware of leopard, which is all just very flatly described, very Britishly, dryly <laughs> described. Right. And also, I think, preserves a 70s. I mean, 1979 is, I think, the year that Margaret Thatcher succeeded Callahan as yeah. prime minister. Mm -hmm. And there was just sort of this... I think most British people felt caught up in this, like, bureaucracy. And, like, there was just a completely different attitude mm -hmm. in the United Kingdom at that time to the way people look at it today. And that idea of having your council come and tear your house down, there's nothing you can do about it, right. would, have, would have been right in the British zeitgeist mm -hmm. in 1979, I think, or at least for some people. Not the people that hated Margaret Thatcher, which is a lot of people, but, you know, I think it was leaning that way. And, and essentially that's what happens with the whole Earth as well, is that the Vogons have come in, they're going to, build a new galactic spaceway, tear down the earth in the process, and the uh, the notice has been kept in Alpha Centauri, and why didn't anybody know that right, it was there? Right. Um, so it's sort of like galactic bureaucracy coming and destroying your planet, which I think was, you know, 
kind of an on the nose metaphor between the two things, but <laughs> I don't even a, know if it's glor- I don't know if I'll glorify it with metaphor, yeah. but you know, it's a parallel anyway. So right. Right. that's kind of the device at the beginning and sort of sets the tone for what sort of a world you're in. Mm-hmm. Well, I was I was I was thinking about what Arthur Dent I was trying to go down the list myself of when Arthur Dent was trying to think of what he would be <laughs> remorseful about. Because there's a there's a scene in there when he wakes up on the Would he be remorseful ship. about if the earth was destroyed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's trying to think about like he's trying to think about all the things that he would miss and he really can't come up with anything. <laughs> like he's like McDonald's feeling a bit worse. You know? Oh right, right. <laughs> he's like, trying to get an emotional yeah, reaction yeah. out of himself. He's like, yeah, you know, yeah. you know America. Well, uh, okay, right. you know, yeah. and and he can't quite find anything to really kind of feel bad about, like the earth being destroyed. You know, it yeah. reminds me of that conversation with um, uh, Duncan. When Duncan mm-hmm. finds out his family's dead, it was a bit like that. It was like, wait, so McDonald's is gone? <laughs> huh. Wait, and Times Square is gone? Yeah. And what about London? You know, yeah, and yeah. he's just kind of not getting oh, the right, emotional right, right, response right. from yeah, everything. Or, oh, yeah, my children? My children? What about All my children? Them? Yeah. My wife, too? Yeah. I think yeah. it's kind of similar yeah. to, like, just shock. I don't know. I think that's the glibness. Like, you know, Earth is destroyed. There's really nothing to... to to kind of sort of fires it sort of works on about. both levels, right? It's both a comment Maybe. on it's a, it's a understated way of describing it, and that's funny. But it's right. also you might be shocked enough by something like that that you might be thinking that way in the yeah. first ten minutes. Could be if you had no idea that was going to happen. Yeah, and then it happened, you would not be processing things properly. I think know? so, but I think I really think that it's more of of this gallows humor, like you know the, the entire yeah. Earth, yeah, 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 everybody, right. You know, aboard her, right, uh, has just been completely obliterated. You know, what was it? A whiff of ozone and like carbon, mm-hmm. so, or yeah, something, something like that. Like that something yeah, like that. And they've all been totally destroyed, and he can't really find anything to be sad about. <laughs> you know, and, mm-hmm. and the things that he are he is sad about things like, well, you know, I'll never be able to go to McDonald's again. Okay, I'm feeling something now. Right, you know, I'm feeling something about that. You know, <laughs> and so it, it's kind of yeah. like, you know, would you really? They had like, McDonald's in England in 1979. I, I mean, I guess so. Well, he was he was thinking early. he was thinking about America though. He was like, you know, so he just knew like, about yeah, McDonald's. Like nobody could go to. I, America I think they might have had it. They might have had it in the they UK. Might have, yeah, I'm in sure the they, 70s. They probably did. That's not yeah. that early, but I was kind of surprised. He talks about digital watches, yeah. and I was thinking that seems early for a digital watch. Casios, I think, I think Casios were. Like, I'm pre- I guess yeah. they existed, but I remember I have a distinct memory of being like six, mm-hmm. and there was a GoBot that had a digital watch on it that mm-hmm. if you put in a quarter to this machine, it was one of the things you could get out of there. Right, right. And I remember envisioning getting one of those mm-hmm. as just being an achievement that was beyond me. Like, it could never happen. Like, if I, like if I put in a quarter and I got like that, that was, my life that was would cool. be different. Like Yeah, the cool kids had, like, uh, I think in, it had to have been like 84, maybe 85. Mm-hmm. The cool kids had video game watches. Uh, and I've been waiting for those to make a comeback. Um, video game? What did that yeah. look like? So, like... Um, like Frogger, for example, okay. and you'd have your, you'd have kind of a large screen at the time. So imagine like a Casio or mm-hmm. something, but mm-hmm. a lo- little bit larger screen, and like a little button joystick and two buttons okay. below it. And so you could play one game, be Frogger. You could like play okay. Frogger on your watch, and uh, I think they had uh, Frogger. I mean, the the very basic games like Donkey Kong. Or I had a like that. I had a Space mini Invaders, a perhaps. mini arcade box uh-huh. um, of Donkey Kong. Okay, like about. I don't know, like not even a foot high, mm-hmm. but it had a little joystick and you could play it. And I played the, I, I played that quite a bit. It was pretty the fun. crud out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, imagine having something small like that on your wrist. And, yeah. And the cool, the cool kids had that. Uh, yeah. I had a generic game 
watch, but I liked it because it had like eight or nine different games on it. Oh, that's pretty cool. And the games were terrible. It was right. kind of like, you know, combat, the early Atari mm-hmm. combat with mm-hmm. like two little blocks moving sure. around and like one little dot doing something. That was that was my treasure. I don't know what ever happened to that. But that was only like five years removed from this book. So I want mm-hmm. to say Casio was like a big deal. I mean, they, they made like gold Casio yeah. digital watches. Yeah. Uh, it was an all metal watch, but it was digital. Yeah. Right. With an LED screen on it. Um, that was kind of a big, I think they're pretty expensive, like two or $300 at the time. They must have been. Yeah. They so. must have been. That's like uh, when we say digital watch, mm-hmm. that's when the word analog clock was invented because because right. it's a retronym because they never had an, a need. Anything, anything it just said clock because yeah, it was a clock. clock. And nowadays, yeah. we, I think we have a couple of sort of souvenir old style clocks in the house in various places, right. but nobody uses those to tell yeah. time. I don't think my kids could figure out what time it was right. if they looked at an old clock. <laughs> and it's one of those things they still teach at school. How to tell time on yeah. a clock. And yeah. I'm like, why? Right. If that takes more than five minutes, sure. don't sure. spend my kids' time. It's like cursive. Yeah. Do not waste my kids' time. They should be learning math or something they're actually going to use. Right. Like it's just, just we, how, how long do we waste on cursive? <laughs> A year, I think. Cursive Two is, years. Cursive is elegant. Come on. I, I, okay. I, I, I can dig. I didn't learn how to curtsy or ballroom <laughs> dance in school. Well, actually, that's not true. We learned square dancing. Did you guys? Yes, we learned square dancing. Oh, you did? Okay. I was going to say maybe it's just a Virginia in thing. Gym. But no. Okay. We learned square dancing. That and, and that stupid Cotton Eye Joe and uh, I think Two Step. Yeah, I don't know. Two Step would have yeah. been kind of neat. We didn't learn that. We just did square dancing. We had to do dancing. Do they, do, they couldn't do that anymore. Right, <laughs> pair off kids into boys and girls and go dance. I mean, yeah. that's not something any 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 teacher would would even want to touch that. The just the politics of that. I don't the, know the potential for fallout. I, I'm so old and out of touch. I don't even know what's what would be a problem. Maybe that's not a Everything. problem, but I don't. I need to have things. <laughs> exp- it has to be a problem, and then people explain to me why it was a problem. You I have never to know. Look at I can never anticipate. Like, yeah. It's always someone right. complains about a thing, and then I have to look at it and be like, well, okay, what was the problem with that? Right. Oh, maybe if it's you're saying somebody's a boy and a girl, right. and right. then they're paired off. Right. And first of all, you're saying they're one of the two genders, sure. which is bad. Right. Exactly. And then it'd you're be, for, and you're, forcing you're assuming, them. You're for, you're you're assuming them. boys yeah. should dance with girls, exactly. where it could be two boys. Right. Which actually, that's, you know, I don't really care about that, whatever. That's not that bad. But yeah, it's just always, there's always something like right. that. So, yeah, right. Maybe just avoid everything i always think you know secretly i think i think it was target that i think target did away with boys and girls clothes right which which you know i think is i I personally don't think that that corporations have a heart you know and so i don't think corporations really give a crap about anything other than than making money yeah sure so that's actually a really smart move because then they can save money by just having clothing right and at the same time look like they're they're doing something. Have you ever been to a a, a motel? Usually a motel. I wouldn't mm. even say glorify it with hotel, but they mm. have this sign that's like, if you care about the environment, throw your towel on the ground if you're oh, done yeah, with yeah, it, yeah, and then right. otherwise hang it up yeah, and reuse yeah. it. And I'm like, so if I care about the environment, I got to throw towels on the ground no, like no, an no. animal See, it's, it's to get the other you way, to wash. No, it's them. the other way around. If you care, no, it's like you. If you care about the environment, hang your towel up, and we won't wash it. Right. Otherwise, if you need it washed. Yeah, yeah. If you need throw it, washed, it on throw the ground, ground like an animal right. and live like a pig in your well, hotel. Well, not only that, not only that, you don't care about the environment. Right. 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 And it's yeah. like, oh, okay, so. I'll reuse the same towel for a week yeah. while I stay here, and you guys get to save money and yep. look good. Yep. Did you know that that uh, we are? I don't. We're totally, way off. We are way, way off. off. But you know, yeah. you know what I found out, and this is a tip for listeners out there. Uh, whenever you're at any store nowadays, you you make your purchase. For me, let's just say it's a, a 
gallon of vodka at like 10 in the morning. Just let's just say. Just, just theoretically. Yeah, just right. theoretically. But uh, so you're buying that gallon of vodka at 10 in the morning and you ring it up and you go to put your, your little ATM thing in the reader mm-hmm. and it says, would you like to donate to homeless cat shelter, you know, of America or something like that or your local food bank or whatever it happens sure. to be. Okay. You say yes or no or whatever and go about business and that dollar goes to them. Do you know what's actually happening there? They get a tax deduction. That store gets a tax deduction. Yeah. 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 You, you know, it, it's not, it's not they, that they're doing it to yeah. make you feel good. They're getting a tax deduction. Save your money. Donate yourself. Donate, donate the money. Although actually we don't get to itemize anymore under the new but tax who ca- code. Who cares? So. You can't itemize that anyway. But the point well, is. you used to be able to. It just but. ticks me off that these yeah. stores are taking advantage yeah. of, of charity. And making you like feel that. bad. And making you feel bad if right. you don't. So don't anyway, do yeah, don't do it. Take that dollar. I go, do it. Go give it to the. Well, go give it. go give it to the homeless shelter yeah, yourself. I know. You know, I do it though because like it's easy. <laughs> it's easier than going somewhere. Makes you feel good. Uh, no, I don't know. Just like if I, you know, I don't mind helping people out. You're feeding the heartless corporations, man. So here's one thing. Okay. It's a pet peeve of mine. Just to bring it back to the book that we read. Oh yeah, we have a pet peeve of mine about. that comes up in the discussion of the Earth getting destroyed. He talks about people looking up and seeing the spaceship of the Vogons and uh-huh. going into shock. Okay. That is not what going into shock is. Going into shock does not mean being shocked by something. Going into shock is something that physically happens to your body when you have trauma. It's like a medical condition. It's a medical condition that has nothing to do with being super scared. Yeah. They say it all the time. In Jaws, the kid has the shark go next to him, and and he's like, he's in shock. shock. No, he's not. He's not in He has been shocked. (laughs) He may have fainted because he was so scared been traumatized by the events. He's been traumatized by the events, but this is not going into shock. It's one thing, my wife's a doctor. It's one thing we laugh about all the time in movies. The other other one is when someone gets shot, the way you cure them from having been shot is removing the bullet. Okay. Watch, now that I mentioned this, go watch movies and shows. Mm. Constantly, someone will be shot. Everyone will rush to get the bullet out of them. They Ah. get the bullet out and everybody goes, whew. Boy, that was close. It doesn't matter yeah. that all these blood vessels have been torn in half <laughs> by this bullet going through them. What's yeah. important is there's not a bullet inside right. the person. Well, that bullet is lead. So they don't want them to get lead poisoning. That's what it is. See, you have to go to the next level, Dave. That's why these it's That's a, why these writers make so much. It's a long-term issue to have a bullet inside your body. It <laughs> well, is not the critical thing. Well, they want to ensure <laughs> that they can, they have a long life. Right? Yeah. And, I'm telling you, you know, these, it's a constant thing. In these film. these writers are smart people. Mm. You know, well, I don't multi, deny that. Multi, I don't deny that. They're writing for the audience. <laughs> the audience, you can say, this person's in shock, and sure. they go, right? Oh, they've yeah, been really, okay. they've been scared yeah. really badly, yeah. right? You know, yeah. like, oh, we got the bullet out of them. Well, they're okay now. <laughs> now they can just get up and walk around right. and do whatever right. they want. You know, if the bullet goes through you, you're fine. Right. There's no damage from the bullet wound. So, anyway, pet peeves. So. So what? So I want to I want to talk about the characters for a minute. You have Arthur Dent, mm-hmm. right? Now mm-hmm. he's the he's the Earthling. You have Ford Prefect, who is his buddy. Let's back up a little bit though okay. on the synopsis here. So Ford Prefect is a writer, uh, and he's right. he's contributing to a book called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, right? Which is essentially uh, like a, like Wikipedia for the galaxy. Yeah, well, it's except a, it's more officially published. I guess it seems like it's the internet for the galaxy. Except it's not. That's okay. So this is one thing that I was thinking about mm-hmm. with the book. Like he designed it when he talks about the actual item that you mm-hmm. have, which it's, is it's like an iPad, kind yeah, of. Right. Kind exactly. of. It's mm-hmm. not exactly, but it's mm-hmm. essentially a handheld computer that can call up this information. Right. But the information is locally stored. Yes. It's not an internet. It's not an internet, but it. But and at first I was thinking, oh, that's a mistake. 
obviously if you'd written this book in mm -hmm. 2020, you'd be like, oh, it's the internet. Mm -hmm. But then I was thinking across a galaxy, you can't have the internet across the galaxy. Galaxies. You, wouldn't, you couldn't yeah. access information mm -hmm. from the center of the galaxy. It takes light years to, for things, unless mm -hmm. there's some other technology, some faster than light communication yeah. technology. They kind of deal with that in Star Wars and some of the sources. There's a thing called the hollow net, right, which right. is really badly described and doesn't yeah. really come into play. It's actually way better for writing to not have an internet so that there has to be local information. Sure, sure. It's just as a writing device, I think, much better to not well, have. I, I, think, I think, though, the prophecy of a local, even a locally stored digital book was pretty pretty fantastic yeah you know? yeah 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 um because I, I think he like if it was it was actually published like if it was published book, in paper it it'd be would like sixty one thousand volumes or yeah, something like that yeah, yeah, it was just like some that. ridiculous right. number so right too big to carry mm -hmm. um yep and this will give you advice on 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 anything just about anything um yeah. and I, I thought that was pretty cool so so uh ford prefect is uh, an alien traveler who who writes for this basically or contributes basically. to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. He's like your Bill Bryson, you know, yeah, of, yeah. of the galaxy. Yeah. Goes around and he's a uh, travel writer, but he's but been isolated on Earth. For gets marooned years. on Earth, yeah. yeah, because his the way he got there is by a rich alien, a rich alien that enjoys going to planets and buzzing them, and and that haven't right. been contacted by global yeah. by ga galactic civilization rather, and buzzing them and like making fun of them for being rubes, and, you know, <laughs> right. Like, he was using that to explain UFOs. Yeah. Like people yeah, see yeah, UFOs yeah, yeah. Yeah, and freak definitely. out and stuff. And those are people Again, making, making fun of. It's a pretty glib explanation yeah, of right. what UFOs are. Right. Just, which, which to totally be plausible. You know, right. if you think about it, I've yeah, thought about you, that a lot. Like, could there be a galactic civilization out there? And we wouldn't know about it. Can, what do you think? I mean, what, what's, what's your, what's it, your take on aliens? It kind of defies what I think is possible. I mm -hmm. think any civilization like this or the one mm. in Star Wars or the one in Isaac Asimov or less so Star Trek. Mm. But if you had this gigantic galactic civilization where everybody can travel around, there'd mm. be signs of that. You'd be seeing energy signatures and things from lots of different places. Mm. It wouldn't be mysterious to us. And maybe maybe mm. 1979, the telescope technology is a lot less. We had a lot less data. But today, we have pretty good data about at least... Well, I don't know. I At mean, least a couple so hundred light when you years say, around us. When you us. say energy, energy signatures, what are you talking about? I mean, so there's this scale of civilizations, your Kardashev scale, that's like how much energy a civilization is capable of harnessing. Can it, okay. can it harness what's on the planet, what's in the star, what's in an entire galaxy? And anything above Kardashev, like two, where you're harnessing this, the energy of stars on a massive scale, you'd be able to see some of the, the exhaust from that or some kind of signature from so that. So what do we... What are we we're counting? below one. We can't even harness all the energy on Earth. Okay. So but if, if everybody were like that, we wouldn't know. But I don't understand what you mean by like, why would you have to harness? What, what well, we harness a certain it? amount of the energy available on Earth. Okay. Right? That's what our civilization is capable of doing. Okay. And it, and I guess the assumption is you can't get to a higher level of technology without harnessing more yeah. energy. I which has been the course of civilization on I, Earth. I think it's but, a problem is because that, that scale <laughs> is assuming everybody has our whatever we have. I mean, if they've if they've figured other things out, anti gravity or whatever. Well, um, the assumption is if you've got a technology uh -huh. like anti gravity, yeah. the only way it's possible is with harnessing more energy somehow. Right, that's the assumption. Like, but yeah. what if that's not true? No, yeah, right, fair I enough. Mean, it's it's um, it's a solid one based on our technological growth. I find it interesting. It's that, all you know, hypothetical. There, there was. So. I'm gonna I'm gonna totally screw this up. But there was apparently an interstellar thing detected right. was it last year two uh, years ago a couple years ago Kamuama. yeah what is it yeah. 
Umuamua. Umuamua. Or Umaumau. I'm not exactly. It's <laughs> I Hawaiian. Think it's, I think it's the first one. I think it's the first yeah, one. Yeah, it's the first one. Yeah. Because they, they detected it in mm-hmm. Hawaii. Yep. And, but they didn't detect it until it was already leaving and going away from us. Right. Um, and that was actually a rather big thing. They said it was about the size, really of, good a, size yeah. of a couple of football fields or something. Yeah, big enough Big enough that it'd be like a large, like starship kind okay. of thing. And is so what, you is what people were sort of joking about. You, well, you, know? you apparently know the story. There's a right. there's a physicist, astrophysicist from Harvard, I believe, mm-hmm. who theorizes right, that yeah. it, it is a, a civil some civilization made that thing. Right. And right. Uh, because it was it was round, it was it, it and it he had and he got that from the uh, surface reflection. Like, yeah, there, there's, there's a lot there's, there's a lot of factors about it that right. that make that not an insane thing to say. Right. The astronomical community does mm-hmm. not agree with him on it's it's right. you've got so there's a couple of weird things it's round they mm-hmm. can see that that is weird mm-hmm. it's coming on a velocity and a trajectory that proves that it's not from our solar system right. first you know thing from outside thing, the yeah. first the first thing detected from outside the solar system yep. and it's accelerating as it leaves as it leaves right which is weird um, so there's a couple of factors there that we're not 100% sure how they mm-hmm. work. But right. there's been other ones detected since then with the mm-hmm. technology that found that. Um, mm-hmm. There's been at least one, if not two more, interst- inter- interst- interstellar objects. Yeah, 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 that's right. right, right. Yeah. Of the same class. And it just doesn't seem like it's actually anything technological. Uh, I can't give all the complicated sure, reasons for sure. it. Um, but I've read and listened to a lot of stuff about mm-hmm. it because it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. I mean, e- even just as if it's a rock from another solar system, it's fascinating. Right. So I was really interested in learning about it. Um, but they think that it's, there's a phenomenon that we get with um, comets mm-hmm. where they can accelerate because of the differential heating caused by where they are in relation to the sun. Mm-hmm. And they're thinking it's probably something like mm-hmm. that. Pro- probably something like that causes it to speed up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's either outgassing from things evaporating under the sunlight or something like that. I don't mm. want to, you know, I don't want to talk sure, out of my sure. butt and make things up, but you know, something like that. Not, not necessarily an accelerant. The, the only reason I bring that up is, is that they didn't detect it until it was already gone and it right. was really big. Yes. You know, so if, if it's something small. Oh yeah. You know, oh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and I mean, yeah. there's, it's likely they would never even see it. Right. Right. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm kind of, I mean, right now, as we record this, there's all this stuff going on with these tic-tac objects, and uh, apparently the Pentagon is going to release all the information they have on, on UFOs or whatever they call it. Uh, yeah, isn't that a- crazy? Aerial phenomenon or something like yeah. that. Unidentified aerial phenomenon. It's, um, it's I think, not to cut you June, off. I believe. It, it's similar to what's going on with Umamo, I think. Yeah. I think it's like, you're not insane to look at these Navy videos and mm-hmm. stuff and be like, well, okay, what? It's yeah, genuinely what, a UFO. What is that? It's a UFO. Meaning we, we don't, don't know, know what it we is. We don't know what it yeah, is. Right. Right. So probably something else is going on. Uh, some people think it's a stovepiping thing where it's like one branch of the government is using some sort of technology, mm-hmm. drones or something, mm-hmm. that they're not communicating to even the top branch of the Navy. And right. so, you Maybe. know, it's it's a black box to the other yeah. agency. They're like, what is this? You know? Sure. Which is weird that they're not all communicating. You'd think people in the – I think it's the Senate – intelligence committee, mm-hmm. the people that are yeah. trying to get this. So uh, right. you'd think that they would know and would not put it out to the public. <laughs> right, right. What it, what it is. Well, that, that, that's what um, I mean. They wouldn't verify these videos. It's, you know, they yeah. and stuff like that. And they, well, it they, got out on YouTube. They, they probably declassified, that, so. verified, right. all this other stuff. You've got people like uh, Commander Fravor, the the F whatever, F-14, F-16, F-15 pilot. He's the one that, that uh, did the eyewitness of the, of the Tic Tac, right. uh, like, five years ago, six years ago or something like that off the coast of San Diego. Okay. He's a stand-up guy, pilot, you know, and, and he's, they've got it on video. They've got, you know, 
his voice recording as, as well, he's it's a little bit like you, you know what it's a little bit like is Foo Fighters yeah it's a lot like that and and uh, John Glenn's first flight where he right. was surrounded by some kind so there's you know probably not aliens looking at the at the ship to be perfectly uh, honest. usually these things don't turn out to be that interesting unfortunately yeah. that would be cool that would be super cool um, probably just some kind of maybe even photo meteoric effect that we don't understand um, but you know I don't really know. It's interesting though, and yeah. they're not crazy to look at it as if it could be something. But yeah, well, I mean, they have to. They have to take it serious. It could be, you know, a, you know, the a, wow signal could be a country that that you know has developed stuff. They, they need to take. You know, oh, it could be. That's you know. unlikely. It's but, unlikely. But, we're they, not. but again, they have to take it seriously. They just do. In case, they do. You know? They do. But I mean, frankly, the United States has the top technology, and we're spending so much more than anybody else on these kinds of things. Oh, it's yeah. way yeah. more likely to be another agency of the United States yeah. not telling the left hand not knowing what the right hand's doing mm -hmm. than that the Russians came up with it. You yeah. know, they've come up with a few things, um, but not not at this point. They're so far behind in a lot of these things. It's just it's it could be some kind. It could be something. A simpler technology that they're encountering in a way they're not used to, or something. Yeah. But I, I don't, I don't think it's any kind of advanced project by the Chinese or the so Russians. It's definitely not Vogon, Vogon, Voganese. No, I wouldn't say definitely. There's mm. a logical possibility, but um, that's not what I would put my money on. <laughs> you know, so like I say, have you heard of the, the Wow signal? Oh, no. So there's this printout um, right around the time actually of this book. I mm. think. Speaking of which, we are talking about a book, uh, but at least this is related material, right? right? There's a printout of a signal that came in at like a frequency and a strength that was what you would expect from an intergalactic civilization. Somebody saw it at SETI mm -hmm. and they just wrote in red pen, underlined it and wrote, wow. Mm -hmm. And like nobody's ever really identified what it was or found it again at that place. So, I mean, that's years and years of people, of people speculating on mm -hmm. it. And I knew a guy who was actually an astrophysicist at Harvard and I remember asking him, I had this like dinner with him sitting next to me and I just asked him every question I had. You know, I was just like, yeah, what, what's the picking his brain for yeah. anything? And I was like, what do you think about that? And he was like, well, yeah, I know it'd be fun, right? But probably it's this, probably it's that. I mean, he was like, right. it's probably space junk reflected something from Earth or a, or a broadcast that we wouldn't know about. There's a million things it could be. Don't mm. get too excited, which right. is a bummer. Have you ever read uh, Chariots of the Gods, Eric, Eric von Daniken, I, about I, all the... I, I know a lot about it. So yeah. when I was like yeah. 12 years old, I was fascinated with that. Oh, and I, yeah. I got the book from the school library. I read it all week, and I used to see my dad on the weekends. So I was so excited to talk to my dad about this book. <laughs> and I went up to him, and I was like, Did he say, that's hey, have you seen BS? this book? He was just like, oh, that's a bunch of crap. <laughs> End of discussion. <laughs> I was Bubble like, burst. A, it was very disappointing. Yeah. And then B, I was just like, he's totally right. Yeah. <laughs> I feel yeah, like the yeah, more I thought, yeah. as soon as I thought about it, I was like, he's completely right. This is yeah. asinine. I really Meanwhile, you're, you're being like that one guy in on the History Channel with the big hair, the aliens. I don't want to say it's aliens, but... Oh, uh, I mean, oh, we're I was, just talking oh, no, about could there about be a galactic civilization Well, I was talking about there. the characters. Uh, Ford Prefect, uh, the Vogans were the, were the ones that carry out bureaucratic stuff because they really enjoy bureaucracy. Uh-huh. Uh, you have the president. Uh, what's his name? Zaphod Beeblebrox. Zaphod Beeblebrox. Right. With two heads. And yes. A, and a third arm. I believe that's right, yeah. Um, and then you have Trillian... Trillion, yeah. Who who is an astrophysicist? That was uh, yeah, that was yeah. picked up on Earth. Yes, by Zaphod. Right. And, and what I remember from reading this book when I was fourteen is that she had no character, no personality, no business in the book. Yeah. Totally, my my 
14 year old impression was completely correct. <laughs> She's literally just there to be another human and yeah. to be a female. She huh. does nothing in this book. She occasionally has a line, yeah. but it's just like, he had no idea what he was doing yeah. with introducing That's that character. I, I didn't understand what she's what she doing. Like, but even so, it's not a very big cast of characters. No, it's, it's just, a very it's a very it's, simple, very simple it's, story. So it's yeah, it's Zaphod, it's Ford mm-hmm. Prefect, it's Arthur Dent, it's Trillian. Mm-hmm. The ship is a bit of a character. Mm-hmm. Uh, the heart the of ship, gold. The, yeah. the heart of gold, but the computer Eddie, Eddie uh-huh. is a, is a pretty good character. Marvin and Marvin the android is a great character. Paranoid Lots android. Lots of fun. Yeah, yeah. Par- the paranoid android, which is a Radiohead song. Yeah, I didn't remember him being called the paranoid android. Yeah. So when I read this, I was like, oh, oh that's yeah, where Radiohead yeah. got. Yeah, okay. But then you also have some other stragglers. You have the mice, for example, who turn right. out, by the way, right. uh, we're being ruled by mice. That's um, right. Yeah, we exist as a computer program for Deep mice. Thought, who is the supercomputer. True. Slarted Bartfast. Slarted Bartfast, The guy that, the guy that yeah. created Earth yeah. in Norway. No, he, he created Norway, yeah, when he was, when he was sculpting Earth. Right. Uh, let's see. Is that it? No, there's a bunch of other characters. There's the whole digression into talking about Deep Thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's the, 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 the philosophers the, the and the priests that come to talk to yeah, him. Okay. Um, which Deep Thought is something we should mention. That's a really interesting bit. Maybe one of the most interesting, like, philosophical bits of the or intellectual bits of the mm-hmm. book. It's like mm-hmm. a computer that's created to answer the question of life, the universe, and everything, mm-hmm. right? Which is just kind of, on its surface, sounds like a joke, right? right? But then you think about it, and you're like, this is what is going on in physics, especially, again, in the 70s and 80s, where people mm-hmm. are trying to find the grand theory of everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the String theory type of thing? Yeah, well, string theory would be one of the candidates, yeah. right? So it's when people are really trying to find that. And then as a layperson, you're asking, like, what the, the theory of what? what? What are you trying to answer? Uh-huh. So I think what he's saying here is it's like you have to make sure to frame the question yeah. the right way. What's the question? Otherwise, yeah. Because what's the answer? 42. To 42. 42 is the, yeah. is the 42 answer is the, to life. Right. universe and everything. And I love when, when he's like talking about um, coming up with, an- he's like, well, we just got to figure out the question was. And he's like, well, how about seven times six? Yeah. <laughs> so that's a bit, yeah, that won't yes, take very long. Yes, that's, that's not going to be a good I answer. I like what though. they come down to though. How many roads will Samantha go down? That's the best yeah. answer. Yeah. I think that's the best, or the best question rather. Yeah. The best question. When my, uh, but there's also a Peter, Paul and Mary song or something like that. Bob Dylan. Uh, Bob Dylan. Right. Yeah. I think it was. Yeah. I, I, Bob Dylan sings it. I don't know if he's he's usually the guy that writes these things. So probably he probably so. is the guy yeah, that wrote it, but was. I could be wrong. Maybe from the Bible, for all I know. Uh, yeah. That when my uh, one of my friends um, turned forty-two, he had a forty-second birthday party, mm-hmm. and he's like a really good artist. And we went over to his house, and he had this whole blackboard that he just did cartoons from Hitchhiker's Guide oh, to the nice. Galaxy because nice. it was his forty-second birthday, yeah. and uh, there was like the whale, uh, <laughs> and like the, whale. the flower pot, and like yeah. all the all this ship and stuff like that. It yeah. was it was really good. He kept it up there for years because he didn't want to get rid of it. It was like a, <laughs> a big project. That remind, Speaking of that birthday party, perhaps I should start making yeah, a drink. Yeah, by all means. This is toasting. What is the drink? It's got, I can't. What's I, it going to be called? You're going to know what it's called. The question is what the heck is in it. Okay, well, what it's called, let's start there. What was it? It's the galactic. The pan-galactic pan. gargle blaster, which pan was invented by Zaphod Beeblebrox, Galactic. Gargle blaster. Okay. So we don't get a lot about what it actually is because all the ingredients are fictional. Right. Except seawater is one of the ingredients. Now, I looked up some some recipes online. Several of them uh, called for saline solution. And I wasn't going to do that to you. Um, There is an an ingredient in it that is not that pleasant. (laughs) And I'm going to make one version where I give the the recommended amount and one version where I tone it down a little bit because the version that has the recommended amount... I did not enjoy. <laughs> I tried it yesterday, 
and that was not that I'm much fun. I'm glad he tested it. Yeah. So well, why don't you why don't you talk? I'm going to go ahead and get the cooler out while I sort of talk it through. And yeah. um, here's what I'll do: I'll get my ingredients out, and why don't you make a comment on each of the ingredients? Okay, absolutely. Since you're my scholar. Yeah. Uh, this is Minute Maid lemonade. Okay. I don't think we need to go into too much detail about that. Well, you know, there's the history of Minute Maid. Yeah, no. I, there's a ballpark in Houston named after Minute Maid. This is Pernod. This is so dry vermouth. Oh, I, no, yeah. I thought that the anise-flavored liquor from France was pastille. I must have that wrong, but this is what... This is an anise liqueur okay. from France. Which is interesting. You know, yeah. Absinthe is also. Uh, yeah, they had absinthe, but this called for this one, oh, the anise flavored, okay. uh, the Perno. Perno's a brand, though, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, anyway, that's what I got. Okay. <laughs> so we also have this. Okay. So he's got he's got Southern Comfort, which mm-hmm. was uh, Janis Joplin's Poison of Choice. Is that right? Yeah. That makes sense. Cream de menthe uh, cocktail mixers. Now this, uh, so the cream de menthe, that's an interesting one. We call that a schnapps? Is that like the traditional schnapps? Creme de menthe is a schnapps? Yeah. Is it? No. Yeah, it could be. Or just a liqueur? I think it's just a liqueur, but I think, is there a difference between liqueurs and schnapps, as we said? Aren't there, isn't there some crossover No, I mean, there? that's, that's, the schnapps well, is not an the Ameri- official the designation, right? The, the Americanized schnapps is, yeah, it's like a, just a liqueur, basically. And then he's got a bottle of beluga vodka, which is right. very good, very Which we good have vodka. nice vodka on hand because my wife is Russian. Very nice. Oh, and then some, then some lime juice. So, all right. So this should be give us interesting. Some, I'm gonna dip my head into the cooler and start making a cocktail. Now you go ahead and talk about each of the, what. What do you know about any of these things in any kind of detail? What is <laughs> what is Southern Comfort? I knew the title, didn't know what it was. I I couldn't find it in the liquor store. I had to ask what it was. So and what is what is it? What is it? It is a whiskey. So it's a spirit whiskey with natural flavors and caramel color. Um, it's a fort. Is it a fortified whiskey? That I don't know. What's a fortified whiskey? Uh, fortified whiskey would be, it would just have, have lots of sugar in it. Let's see, 1974, M.W. Heron took uh, harsh whiskeys of the time and mixed them with his own blend of fruit and spices. Okay. You know what? To create a whiskey. I'm not going to do this to you. I'm not going. I'm not going to put in the full amount of the of the Pernod. It's, okay, it's, 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 it's pretty harsh stuff. It's pretty yeah. gross when you get too much of it. So uh, I'm going to do half. See. Yeah. So it's just it's just whiskey mixed with fruit juices and spices. Oof, man, I could smell that from here. Oh yeah. Wow. It's strong. I made the first version. I gave it to my wife, and she was like, "Ooh!" <laughs> like the look on her face. Like yeah. Usually she tries to be pretty open minded about new drinks, but that was pretty bad. I'm putting it in a. Martini shaker, I think. Just a drink shaker. Just yeah. a drink shaker. Yeah. It's what we got for our anniversary, uh, not our anniversary, it's for nice our wedding. One. It's a wedding gift. It's got a little mother of pearl around the side of it. It's kind of a nice. So this is absinthe. That is absinthe. This is absinthe? Pernod absinthe was created in 1805. No, no, there was Pernod absinthe. There was a separate bottle, and it was very expensive, by the way. Hmm. The, the absinthe bottle was like $60. This. Oh, Pernod an- anise. I think this is pastille. Is what you call this when it's French. That's that's what I learned before. It's a successor of absinthe. Oh, uh, liquor popular in the 19th century, the exotic bouquet, when tasted neat, is potent and bittersweet with the addition of water. It turns milky, opaque, and has a long licorice-like flavor. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, it's essentially... I don't think it has wormwood in it. No, uh, I don't is, think you could sell is, anything with wormwood for a long which time. Which is what true absinthe is. I think that's the difference here. So one of the craziest things I ever did in terms of trying alcohols... I was in uh, Breckenridge, Colorado, uh-huh. and they had an absinthe for sale that was $50 a shot. 
and I decided to experiment, see Ugh. what it was. And I, I tried it, and it, it tasted fine, you know, uh-huh. with it, but there's absolutely no effect in terms of, like, hallucinogen- hallucinogenic effects, no. except maybe having a little bit of a buzz like you'd have from a shot it'll, of any alcohol. It'll get you. Well, I think it, if I remember correctly, it, it's like 110 uh, proof or something like that. that it's that super strong that stuff. That may be, but I, I can attest that there are no... You know, at least not on my physiology, no no hallucinogenic Have you ever effects. done the, the full absinthe uh, fountain where you poured over uh, yeah. the sugar cube? Yeah, yeah, that's what this was. Oh, there was okay. the, whole, all right. the whole, like, elaborate. So you're you're paying for the experience. Yeah, the experience, yeah. not just the okay. shot. I didn't mind. I'm, I'm glad I did it. It's a $50 story. There's a, uh, well, did, you ever go to the bar, did you ever go to the bar in New Orleans, absinthe house? Over in... Uh, uh, give me in, some. Give me some information about where it was. I so it's have. in it's in it's in the Bourbon Street area. It's it's uh, like this two story old old building. I think from the 1700s, okay. 1800s, and they have all these absinthe fountains in there. It's called uh, I, th- I think it's called the absinthe, absinthe house. I believe. Uh, very well, might be. I have a tendency if I was in if I'm in the like in the quarter is uh-huh. a lot of stumbling around just picking bars ra- at random. Um, there's not a lot. There's one we went to one time and we got uh, what's the a Sazerac. Yeah. Only, time, only time I've ever actually had a Sazerac. Old Absinthe House. Sazeracs are fantastic. That, that may have been where we, where we had Sazerac. That. So Sazerac is actually, it's almost just like an old-fashioned, except with the Fernet. I think you, you, you coat the uh, glass with Fernet. What's that? It's a, it's a, a liqueur, kind of like Absinthe or one of those other liqueurs. Um, about 100 proof as well, but it's very, very botanical. I'm going to... I can never get the top of this shaker off oh, once I, I put it on, so I'm going to not close it all the way, and I'm going to shake it gingerly. Shaking it yeah. gently. Um, so it calls for, and this was a term I'd never seen before, mm-hmm. it calls for the lemonade as a top-up. Okay. And I so was like, top, top. I had to look it up. Right. I was like, what does that even mean? It's not even really like, I couldn't find a whole lot of agreement on what it means. Apparently, it's just kind of to taste. Maybe. So I put a little bit in, and we could top up differently on the okay. second round. Sounds good. Feel like that didn't go well. So this <laughs> is uh, somebody's version on the internet of a pangalactic pangalactic gargle blaster. The other ones sounded even more loathsome than this one. So uh, you know, we should let me see if I can find the the ingredients. Actually, the ingredients of what the, in the book pangalactic. Oh yeah, it's a, it's a kind of a long. They give you the seawater from a certain planet, yeah. uh, and it's the old shays. Is one of the is one of the ingredients, but none of those are real things, so I didn't. No, really yeah, go I mean, you've got. You've, you've I didn't got, go into any detail about them. You've got this from this planet and this from this planet, and they're all they all sound pretty terrible. So I forgot I put in the amount of anise that they call for for one drink. I should have doubled the other ingredients because we want <laughs> half okay. the amount oh, of I see, anise. I see. So I'm I'm diluting. Very good. Or not really diluting, but putting good stuff in. A little bit of vodka, a little bit of Soco. I was always familiar with the term SoCo, Soco. but I never didn't really know what the drank it or knew what it was. Yeah. It's just it's 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 funny because it's a hundred proof whiskey that you can drink. I mean, you can sip it. It's it's is it a hundred proof? Yeah, it's a hundred proof, but it's it's sippable. No wonder Janice liked it. It's sweet. You pour it over the rocks, let a you know, little little bit of ice uh, kind of melt into it, and it's pretty good stuff. Mix it with Coke. Okay. Coca Cola. That's what I've heard. Yeah, <laughs> Wait, she mixed yeah, it. With she the, probably she mixed, mixed it with, it with Coke a too. With yeah. a different Coke. Yeah. I don't know but if yeah, we're, she, she know if we're slandering poor Janice Joplin. No, but she I imagine it. she did a little bit of coke. That <laughs> just, would be my just guess. A bit. Uh, All right, so other things. now I'm gonna. Should I take the risk and close it up so I can really shake it? They're hard to get off. Well, you, you'll usually see a, a, a bartender where they, they shake it because the, the ice will cause it to kind of expand. We'll have to smack it. Yeah. To, to get it off. So I didn't really. There we go. It came off pretty good. Looks like a looks like a drink in there. 
Now, they recommended martini glasses, uh-huh. which are how many ounces are in a martini glass? That's a good Not question for you. That is it four? Like that, no, that doesn't look like four. That, that looks, looks more like, like two or three. Yeah, that maybe. looks like maybe two or three So we've got two ounce. Milk. All right, there you go. All right, so there's your Pan Galactic Gargle Blaster. I oh, first. No, 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 no. This there was a version that called for a pepper garnish, a black pepper garnish. Black. That was not this version. So, well, cheers. You don't have that. Cheers. Here we go. Wait, we're allowed to cheers. We don't have to be like toasting this classic no, officially no. yet. No, okay, no. we're just cheersing cheers. on general just try principles. To, try to drink. How's the anise coming through? Actually, it's pretty good. That's not bad. It's coming through. Yeah, it's de- it's definitely not subtle. No, I mean, but it, it's it, a, it's better than it was when I doubled. If it was double yeah, that, drink that, I mean, I can not, drink. That's okay. That's not bad. That's okay. Yeah, that's not the worst thing I've ever had. Cool color, kind of a lemony, opaque lemony. Yeah, color. I'd sell that at the restaurant at the end of the universe if I was the, <laughs> in charge of the place. So, now, have you read the other the other? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I read. Well, let me think. So, the original trilogy that was around when I was growing up was mm-hmm. uh, the first one was Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. The right. second was Restaurant at the End of the Universe, and they were followed by Life, the Universe, and Everything. Okay. Those were the ones that were out uh, when I was a kid. And then they added on So Long and Thanks for All the Fish mm-hmm. at some point in my life where you could still go to B. Dalton Books and buy a book. So I don't yeah. know. That must have been in the early 90s. And then there was Mostly Harmless, mm-hmm. which I think may have come out posthumously because Adams died young and died. I might have mm-hmm. still been in high school when he died. Like, so it might have been yeah, like 1992, 1993. Like 63 or something like that. I'm say. not even sure he was yeah. in his 60s. I okay. think he was not much older than what I am. What did he die of? Was heart attack. Oh, heart attack. Heart attack. Okay. He was six foot five, by the way. Oh, wow. He was a big a dude. really big guy. Yeah. He worked as a bodyguard for a while. I read that. Which is so I weird I for somebody that does that. this kind of... Re- well, it's because he was huge. Yeah, just a big guy. Because he was a big guy, yeah. yeah. I was actually over at uh, my daughter's uh, singing teacher's house, mm-hmm. and she has a son who's the same age as my son. Mm-hmm. And he walked out of the, he walked out from the back and he looked me right in the eye because oh, he's geez. almost six feet tall. Holy cow! Right, and uh, I was thinking of Douglas Adams. He said when he was eleven, he was six feet tall. Wow. And he topped out at six five, which is actually modest compared to where I would think you would end yeah. up if you were six feet right. tall at, at eleven. So he so was just he was just a big guy. He was a string yeah. bean though when he was a kid because yeah, you know they're just been, like yeah. must have been super skinny and tall and yeah lanky. So anyway, I guess what I'm saying is I think sometimes heart conditions come along with being yeah. so big. You yeah, know? I mean, it's like a danger to your body. But anyway, sure. so yeah, so there were those those five books. The last one I think came out posthumously. And then there was like a ghost author took some of his notes to build, to write another one. Mm-hmm. And I've forgotten the title of that one because I never read that. But it was sort of like Christopher Tolkien finishing some of Tolkien's books with his notes. Yeah. Uh, sort, sort of like that. Yeah. So his, his thought was involved, but somebody else wrote the final sure. book. So did you read the rest of them? No, no, no. Yep. Oh. Just just the one. Just okay. the one. I don't know if I dig it. You know? Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is really my cup of tea. It reminds me It's almost me like pun intended. Yeah. It's British. <laughs> yeah, right. Talks about tea a lot. It does talk about something that's completely unlike totally nearly unlike tea. Or almost like, completely not unlike yeah, tea. Something right. like that. Yeah. 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 There you know the the banter who did uh, Stranger in a Strange Land? Robert Heinlein. Robert Heinlein. The the banter in that book mm-hmm. it had tones of that. A little bit like the glib back and forth. Oh, there's a bunch of these clever, clever back and forth. These classic sci-fi novels are all through this. Yeah, Asimov's Foundation Mm -hmm. is a big part of this. If you ever read Ringworld, it's Larry Niven. There's there's a there's a character a lot like Zaphod Beeblebrox. There's Mm -hmm. there's a woman who's a product of. They find out the person who's the luckiest throughout their life 
and they assume there's a genetic reason why somebody's so lucky, huh. so they choose those people for space missions. Oh, nice. <laughs> it's very, it's very Douglas like Adams. Yeah, it's, it's a funny idea. That like, actually makes sense. Yeah. They sort of were talking about Zaphod Beeblebrox that yeah. way a little bit. Yeah. Like his, and I thought he sounded, it's a different description of the character where they say that he is uh, successful because he's almost completely unaware of the significance of his own activity. Right, right. And I was thinking, that sounds a bit like Trump. It's like yeah. how Trump got where he is. Like, I don't sort of. think he's really aware of how much, like, power he's exerting. Like, he's just kind of doing it to just do it. sort of does it? I don't yeah. know. Very similar to this yeah. character, I think. Like, becoming president, you're like, what? I'd really like to sit down and be like, well, what was your motivation? What, what did you hope to? Did you just want to be president? I think it's yeah. just he just wanted to be president. I think so, It's just too. another thing he could put his name on. You right. Know? So didn't really care what he had to do to do it. Or what kind of? We just wanted to do it, so we did right. it. Exactly. So yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I, 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 uh, I, I did. I liked. Well, I don't know. I liked parts of it. Didn't like other parts. Okay. Um, a lot of the overtop improbability stuff just sort of. It was. Uh, so I'm of two minds. It was burdensome to read. <laughs> so, so I'm of two <laughs> yeah. minds on the improbability drive and all uh, the things that come out of it. First of all, it's a super convenient device for a writer, mm-hmm. right? It reminds me of how Stephen King will often have characters who have psychic premonitions about what's going to happen. Right. And so they do things to make them happen. And right. it's like a deus ex machina that makes his plot sure. go because people know what's going to – it's kind of, kind of fun, but at the same time you're like, really? Yeah. Really? Like, and that's what this is like. Mm-hmm. It moves the plot forward. And so that's kind of irritating, right? You're mm-hmm. like, oh, it's just it's improbable things keep happening. Sure. And you don't have to write. But I think going into the analysis of it – and talking about the odds and the odds counting down and stuff uh, like that, having a mechanism for why it happened. I thought that was kind of funny. Hmm. I kind of liked that. And then there's this whole, I guess you'd call it philosophical ponderings that people like this. Um, I think it's Ludwig Boltzmann, who was a thermodynamicist who came up with all these important ideas about uh, the rules of heat and things like that mm-hmm. in physics. But he was also really familiar with probability laws. And he realized what the extension of a lot of these things were. And he came up with this idea called a Boltzmann brain, mm-hmm. which is if you've got an infinite universe and anything can happen because of the way sort of, well, he wouldn't have talked about the quantum fluctuations. He's too, anyway. But he came up with the idea that essentially you could have a brain pop into existence for no reason, mm-hmm. just as a fluctuation. He could not have possibly said this. This is called a Boltzmann brain. I think it's because it uses his ideas about probability. I don't think he came up with this idea. Anyway, it's called a Boltzmann brain. It's the idea that a brain could pop into existence having all of your thoughts and your awareness and things like that just mm-hmm. as a fluctuation of like quantum states of the vacuum and that it wouldn't know any different that it wasn't an actual evolved brain. Mm -hmm. And because the universe is infinite, if it's infinite, it's actually more likely that you're that than that you're an actual evolved creation that you really are like a real thing. It's actually more likely that there are those things than that you came about Mm. through these physical laws. And I think what's going on with the whale Right. When the whale pops into existence and it's like, oh, what am I? Oh, I guess there's this thing called wind going past my head. It's essentially like a character who's a Boltzmann brain who Mm. then smacks into ground, (laughs) into the ground and dies. So there's an element of a sad note. Yes, it's a very sad note. Um, There's an element of it that's a very convenient device for an author, but it's also gets into some interesting questions about probability and infinity and things like that and, and brings up some philosophical ideas that are pretty fun to have them applied in a story. Now, like I said, the plot itself is pretty weak. Yeah. 
it's really the banter and it's the the the, the intellectual ideas that are getting mm-hmm. put into a composite and what it, so you're not a fan of his style essentially no I, I, it just it gets it gets a bit tiresome after a while i mean have you ever had the, one of those friends that everything they say is a s- smart ass remark yes yeah you know, they just everything they come come back you can't have a serious conversation with right. them at all right 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 it gets you know you, you can go out with them for a beer Mm-hmm. But after a couple of beers or a few beers, you're like, ah, okay. Got to talk to somebody and, yeah, else. I gotta yeah, I got to talk to somebody else. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's it's sort of like that. You're saying, yeah, I'm looking at me like I'm the guy. Is that? No. Oh, okay. Good. No. <laughs> you're a very serious drinker, actually. Well, I appreciate that. Usually, usually if we have a couple of drinks, you'll start talking about something very serious. Like, like <laughs> Good It's kind know. of the opposite. Like, I, I get a little goofy sometimes. So <laughs> but, uh, you know, <laughs> it's always hard when you start talking. You know those guys who do this really irritating thing and your friend looks at you and says, yes, I'm I do. I'm just nodding like yes, great Yes, I know yeah. those people. Anyway. Yeah. But, Exaggerated you know, it, It's, it's kind of like that. But I was, I was wondering, so the genre of science fiction and comedy or the, the connection between those two or the crossroads, uh-huh. is, is, was this a groundbreaker in that case? Were there, were there kind of funny sci-fi so, stuff before? Well, funny, serious sci- sci-fi. What I mean by serious is like, it is really like truly sci-fi. Yeah. That was funny or yeah. comedy or whatever. Yeah, I, I, yeah it's, um, or was I, it think, a, I think it's the funniest example of it. Okay. But there are a couple of other things that are very similar. Um, I think Monty Python in general, not, I'm not saying it's sci-fi, mm-hmm. but Monty Python has a tendency to take the ludicrous and the highly intellectual, yes. mix the two right. things together and right. create something that's genuinely funny and actually makes you think about some right. intellectual subjects at the same time. Yeah, that's a great And then analogy. sometimes it's just surreal. Yeah. But yeah. Um, and that this is the same way. Sometimes it's just surreal, but sometimes yeah. it's actually a pretty good mix of the two things. And the other thing that comes to mind is Doctor Who, mm-hmm. which I have never gotten into. Me neither. Everybody's always recommended to me, and yeah. I am not saying I wouldn't like it. I just haven't gotten around to it. Yeah. It's a gap. So maybe we'll do like some early Doctor Who, a right. couple episodes or something for the show at some point. Yeah. Douglas Adams wrote for both of those shows. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So it's not a coincidence that his that's style is very yeah. much like that. Um, that's a good point. I mean, it would be if you were to take comedy and mix it with the Middle Ages – you would have Search for the Holy Grail. There are some serious comments on medievalism in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. But there's also serious comments about current things like the, you know, um, the whole whole thing where they're uh, the serfs in the the field Mm -hmm. and all Mm -hmm. the remarks on society. But, so, so like that scene, right, where they yeah. where they meet the guy and he's like, "We're in a narco syndicalist yeah, yeah, commune." Right. <laughs> right, it's right. making fun of acad- I don't even know if making fun of them, but just using the way people talk. Sure. Medievalists yeah. who are like modern thinkers who yeah. are talking about like what were serfs like. Well, actually, they were anarcho syndicalists. You know, it's like yeah, yeah. current intellectual thought about the right. Middle Ages, and they're lampooning it. Right. But as a twelve year old, I could just right. laugh. It was funny. You know, <laughs> yeah. I didn't get it at all on that level. But who elected you, King? Yeah, they don't elect a king. <laughs> Let's not use that up. Okay. We're totally yeah, doing yeah, that movie yeah, at some yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. But it's totally what this is about. It's making fun of it, but at the same time, actually discussing some of these issues, right? Right. And I, so I'm of two minds about the improbability drive because it's like, on one hand, yes, it's very convenient, but at the mm-hmm. same time, it's kind of brilliant to take something which is such a convenient writing device, talk about it intellectually, use it in the plot. Mm-hmm. Bring it. People probably haven't thought about these things. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, I think, a lot of people today, for instance, like I have a T-shirt of Schrodinger's cat, and like 
people come up and comment it all the time because like pretty much if you're a smart person you know about that mm -hmm. today but like i don't think in the 70s that that was common i don't think a lot of people were familiar with quantum physics and right. things like that so i think this brought that to a lot of people's attention hmm. so was it the first funny kind of and yet serious sci-fi yeah. <sighs> I may be not coming up with anything else, but I think in some ways it was. Hmm. It's it's in the tradition of Monty Python and in the tradition of Doctor Who. So this was this came out in eighty, is that right? Seventy nine. Okay, so it was published in seventy nine. So we're we're coming off of well, Heinlein was in the sixties. You you've got mm -hmm. Isaac Asimov, Gene Roddenberry, right? Yeah, none of that is is laugh out loud. Right, right. That's what I'm right. saying. Is is you've it's, got it's, it's got the DNA of everything you just mentioned. Right. is totally in this book. Yes, but what I'm um, saying is like all of the forerunners were all very serious. Yeah, pretty you much. Know? Heinlein can be a little. Well, Heinlein's um, he's comical in some ways, but yeah. it's a really dry kind of comedy. Yeah, uh, it's more well, like dry, dry and glib. I always think of that one scene when he kills. That bishop, when he uh, in in Stranger in a Strange Land, when he when he kills the bishop because he wants to be close to God or whatever. Oh, you want to be close? And it's like, and then he just snapped his fingers, and that guy's dead. Right. Next thing you know, he's like in an like an easy chair, watching TV of what's going on and being like, "What the hell just happened?" You know, yeah. who's this guy? I think yeah, he yeah. is. You know, and so it was it was kind of glib and funny. Yeah. In, yeah. in that way. But but the whole book is not glib and funny. No, it's, it's, no uh, there's a lot of serious. Lot, very um, serious stuff in there. Runaway, it's played seriously, but there's some black comedy to yeah, it. Yeah. Some of those. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to, th what was but, the other? I read one by him. The whole thing was just, it was the one where the guy is like a time traveler. Uh, anyway, there's a, but it, Robert Heinlein does have a certain kind of black comedy to yeah. it in a lot of ways, but it's not like this. And I can't think of anything that would have been this sort of tone. Well, this was this was made to be funny from start to finish, right? Yeah, yeah. And every one mm -hmm. uh, was made to be like that. So, uh, but you're right. I mean, he wrote for Flying Circus, Monty Python's Flying Circus, right? Mm -hmm. And Doctor Who. I was going to say Doctor No for some reason. But like the, the kind of ideas, like the restaurant at the end of the universe, mm -hmm. is a hundred percent an idea that would be on Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah. Like that, totally. like there's that there's people that are hanging out at the end of uh -huh. creation and right. they just loop that day over. That's a yeah. hundred percent a Doctor Who type right. of idea. I don't even. I remember seeing a bit of an episode that took place at the end of the universe. Right. Um, so it's definitely something that they would sure. have dealt with, but not played for laughs. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I think it's just kind of if Monty Python had a baby yeah. with Doctor Who, you get Hitchhiker's yeah, Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, you're probably right. I think that's a pretty good way of describing this. So my next question, though, now you've written a book. Mm -hmm. What's your book called? My book is called The Last Shrine. Okay. It is not published, so that is not 100% officially the title, but that is right. what it, not published that's the yet. working title. Not published correct. yet. You write like this, don't you? I mean, you're, you're, you have a lot of funny stuff like this, but I mean, yours uh, is more fantasy. Yeah, it's a fantasy setting. Right. I, I'm not this zany. Okay. No, it can be funny. I, I like to write like a combat scene with a little bit of like dark humor in it and stuff like that. I was just that, wondering so. how much of an influence he was on you. And your oh, writing. I'm sure. I'm sure he was yeah. in some ways. Yeah. That... Uh, understated kind of humor uh -huh. yeah it, when i'm thinking about some of the scenes there's an understated kind of humor and like a dark gallows humor about yeah. like the, there's a scene at the beginning of my book where the main character gets in a fight that he just absolutely knows he's going to lose and he's going to die badly mm -hmm. and his god is kind of like making fun of what a giant wuss he is and mm -hmm. how badly he's going to lose this fight mm -hmm. and he just kind of has a lot there's a lot of dark humor in that scene that, yeah. that plays out it's it's a little bit like that's definitely not this zany though it's yeah. not is that as many like one-liners and and goofy words and yeah. things like that? So not as crazy as this. Okay. No. All right. No. 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 But yeah, there's a little bit of that. A little bit of that understated British humor. Uh, do you see? Do you see? Uh, 
Doug Adams' influence in anything that you've read since? I mean, do you see mm. like I mean, if he if he kind of cracked this genre, you know, have there been others that have come along? Sci-fi, funny sci-fi, definitely. Um, Fifth Element, maybe I'm thinking of a movie. Fifth Element's a little goofy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's kind of a goofy take on a galactic civilization. That's a good call. Um, there's a book called Red Shirts. Okay. by John Scalzi, hmm. which is putting the main characters of the book are the red shirts on the on like the Star Trek Enterprise hmm. or something like the Star Trek Enterprise. The, the, guys, that the guys that yeah. always die. Yeah, the ones that die. Um, and it's from their perspective, okay. and it's a goofy oh, story like that. So <laughs> that's, that's, that's in the Douglas cool. Adams band. Yeah, that's, that's pretty great. funny. I like that one. Yeah, I mean, I'm, nothing else is coming directly to mind. But, yeah, there's, there's definitely some – I mean, he's hugely influential. Yeah. It's definitely – very influential. Did you ever see the movie? I, have, I haven't so seen the movie. The movie came out in 2005, I think. Give or take, yeah. yeah Which is, a, I was surprised that I didn't. Usually what I'll do is if a classic book is being made into a movie, I'll yeah. read the book again before mm-hmm. I see the movie. But I didn't. I just went and saw the movie. Okay. So the movie and the show, and uh, there was a video game, but that I think probably was a little more effective. It was actually one of those old, I don't know if you ever played these, but they were just text games. Yeah, absolutely. Where you, um, are you trying to put a little more, top off the top up this with some more lemonade? Sure. I'll take another another pan galactic gargle blaster if you don't mind. Put some it's more lemonade in here. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, just a little bit. Make it. I think sweetness wouldn't hurt the. Uh, yeah, tamper down that. That anise, anise is just a little that's bit. that's powerful. That's well, powerful it, it, stuff. It, it, you it want tastes, some more ice, by it, the way. It tastes exact. Uh, you know what? Uh, this is this is probably nice and cold. So. Okay. All right, not necessary. Anyway, well, it tastes exactly so like like absinthe. I mean, it's it's. It does, doesn't it? Totally absinthe. Yeah. It tastes less like it if you drink it straight. It's, the anise is stronger. It tastes, it tastes like ouzo. Yes. Ugh. Or uh, what's the Turkish? Rocky. So, yeah, what I was saying is that there's a video game that came out and actually sold pretty well, I think, uh, in the early 80s. And it, Did you ever play any of these games that were, like, text-based? Yeah, Oregon Trail, of course. No, no, Oregon Trail had... Oregon Trail had graphics. I'm talking about... It did? This was... Yeah, it did. You had, like, your guy... Um, I, don't I think the actual gameplay was mostly text, but it did yeah. have some... So maybe, maybe. No, no, it was, it was all text. I, I mean, you had, I at the very beginning, you know, you have, like, the intro screen. Okay. But it okay. was, it was okay. all text, yeah. Okay, I may not be remembering that right then. But, yeah, but I've, was, I've played them before, yeah. The, yeah, these were, like... Uh, I had an Indiana Jones one where it would, it would tell you what just happened, and you write what you did... And it had a couple of pre-programmed things you could lead it to. It was very limited gameplay, but it was mm-hmm. kind of fun because it was kind of like reading the book again. And there was a version of that for Hitchhikers. And I think that probably worked pretty well, mm-hmm. actually. But the film, and to a lesser extent the series, because the series just leaned into the dorkiness of it and mm-hmm. just, just it had like jokes and things like that. It repeated, right. it repeated lines from the book by showing blurbs from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Okay. And by that I mean the... The, the guide the, that the takes place guide, in the yeah. book. Sure. Um, whereas the film, the Hollywood film that came out in 05, had a bunch of great actors, had a good budget. I mean, Alan Reichman played Marvin the Droid. Okay. Uh, Most Deaf was Ford Prefect. Oh, nice. Um, uh, Martin Freeman played Arthur Dent. Zephod Beeblebrox was um, the guy whose name I was, Sam Rockwell? Sam Rockwell, he is an actor, but yeah, it's a name like that, and I and I have trouble remembering that guy's. I have trouble with Martin Freeman, honestly, but <laughs> I looked that up recently for Bilbo Baggins. But anyway, it had had a bunch of great actors, and um, it just doesn't work because the plot is no good, and you know the jokes already. <laughs> the jokes are that's Sam Rockwell. That's the guy. Yeah, yeah that's the one that played Beetle Brox. So so I knew all the jokes already. I'm not laughing, you know, and it's the plot is just kind of like what the. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah. it's kind of not the strength. So just the work. strength is the 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 language. You know, you read it, you laugh. It's it's well written. It's breezy. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of funny. It's the thinking stuff. 
just doesn't work as a film. Right. Unless they completely rewrote essentially what happens in the yeah. film um, to make it more interesting. Well, he did a lot, like actually in the actual book, he did a lot of, he did a lot of like cutaways. So like, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to remember there was a chapter where sure. somebody says something. Okay. And what he said somehow ends up in a yeah. another dimension yeah, so five million years earlier. Arthur Dent says... Oh, I, I, like I'm, I'm, things are going rather shabby for me lately or something like that, right? Yeah, something like that. And, and somehow, whatever he said ended up in a different dimension. Travels back in time, five million years, five million years a different, in a different, different galaxy. Different galaxy and dimension. Right. And that... Causes a war between two yeah. tribes of bug people. Yes, because they... they right. They, they interpreted, like what he said, yeah. interprets perfectly to some insult right. Right. In, in their language, yeah. right? So it's just this, this quick cutaway. So he says that, and now let's cut away to this story. Oh, The parentheticals are funny. Yeah. They're good. I like yeah. them. But you, what, what are you going to do with that in a movie? You can't do that. Think I mean, that, about— That think wouldn't of, be— Well, first of all, it's not funny well, anymore because Think, think about a flying it, circus you know? episode. And now uh-huh. here's something yes. you'll really like. Yes, yes. You know? And, and, and now just, for something completely different. Yeah, and it just like it just, you know, there's this quick transition, total aside— and there, there'll also be running gags through an episode. Mm-hmm. Like there'll be an aside at the at the beginning. It's an aside, but it, it like there's these running asides. I, I think literally you know? one of the jokes that still makes me laugh for my mm-hmm. entire life is nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. That is <laughs> the funniest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, that really is funny. That makes me laugh when I think about it. Like every time I th- once every once a year or so, I'll remember that. Yeah. And I'm just like that is hilarious. Like I didn't even get it when I was a kid. I just thought it was funny. There's these guys. I didn't realize people use the expression. I didn't expect a Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> expects it. Oh. I'm just thinking through all the all the flag circus stuff. There's <laughs> the uh, there's the, the the one of my favorites was. Thank John, you for that, John Cleese. Yeah, yeah. That, that was that's a good joke. That's making me happy today. W- one of one of my favorites was John Cleese when he was this. He was like a drill instructor, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and he had all these ridiculous scenarios about about uh, how he's going to defend himself, and now we will teach you how to defend yourself when you are attacked by and banana. Yes. <laughs> it's like it's like. Did he say and banana or something like no, that? You fun. know, and, and so the guy. So the guy. Anyway, it, it's just. So speaking of British, yeah, so so specific yeah. British culture, okay. uh-huh. right? Every time yeah. I read something British, yeah, I'm always reminded that we are not the same country, right? There's a couple of things he mentions the tannoy. They're talking on the tannoy. Mm. I don't even know how to pronounce it, right? And I was thinking, oh, it's something from, like, intergalactic civilization. It's a word he made up. And I actually finally, after you mentioned it, like, three times, I looked it up. And I'm like, no, it's a brand that makes loudspeakers in Ah. Britain. And they call it the tan. And I was like, Ah. I would have never, as an American, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, Yeah, there's a lot like that. I I mean, the first, have you ever been to England? I never have. Yeah, I lived there for a little while. Oh, did you? Okay. Um, my girlfriend in college got into a program in Oxford and I just kind of tagged along with her and stayed there and studied. And I just went to Blackwell's every day and read books. And I, I learned a ton. I had like my own study experience. (laughs) I explored, I explored a lot all over the country and it was a great experience. So when you say it's very British, you know a lot more than I do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty conversant with British culture. I know Harry Harry Potter and that's about it. And you can learn a lot from Harry Potter, although they did changed some things for the American version. They tried not to... I read, read them all to my kids like multiple times. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're, we're working on those too. That'd be kind of a fun one to do for an episode, but at least the first book. Mm, yeah. They're pretty good books. They have a list. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is on it. It's like the British Great Reads list. And mm-hmm. I was thinking of it as being 
because I because I like to when we do these I like to look and see is this a classic you know yeah. do, do people consider it a classic sure. and it was number like three on that list so I was mm-hmm. like oh and then I looked at the list and it was like Harry Potter okay you know Winnie the Pooh all right that's a good book all you right. know but it was getting kind of silly like it was a lot mm-hmm. of silly stuff they had uh, boy I can't remember what the other things on there were but it was not a lot of quality and really? I was like yeah I was it, it wasn't like what you would think it would be for the okay. great British books it was like. Huh modern things there's not um, like there's not like the bronte sisters or, or yeah there uh, was jane Eyre was jane Eyre like in the top 10 okay. or something like that emma but the, maybe mm, i don't think there was any austin no, maybe austin? pride and prejudice really maybe pride and wow. prejudice i think pride yeah. and prejudice and sense and sensibility and jane Eyre were in the top 10. i mean uh, the whole list yeah. may have had those things but huh. there was like low quality stuff in wow. the top it was yeah. like uh I, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on what the other thing is it was a list that i was not super impressed with huh. Um, but th- this was on it, though. Uh, this was on it, yes, yeah. yes, yes, definitely. There's another, what do they also refer to? Oh, when Zephod Beeblebrox breaks into a, like, intergalactic cruiser, and and he's like, and it was all for Conkers. Oh, Conkers, yeah, yeah. Conkers, conquer. Yeah, Conkers is, that's a game they play. It's a game that kids play. Okay. Isn't it, 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 isn't it like where you swing something against something else and try to break it or something, I think? <laughs> well, what is it? What's a Conker, do you know? Yeah, it's like a ball on a string, isn't it? It's a horse. It's a, a chestnut. Okay. It's a that, little chestnut. And I had you, I had to look this up. And you're but trying I did to break not, it, right? Is that right? Uh, I don't know. I don't know what you're trying to do with it. But anyway, it's a game. I think you throw them. Maybe it's like horseshoes. You try to get them close to things. I have no idea. If we only had this small thing in our pocket. That but there's like but there's like some British things that occasionally I'm just like, yeah, this is a foreign culture. Like I, this is not just, you know, another country where they speak the same language and we're all the same. It's definitely like different like i have no idea what they're talking about christmas crackers came up in co- some context the other day and i had no idea what they're talking about okay um, so how to play conquers so during the months of september and october a favorite playground game is conquers it's a game blah 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 so what is a conquer conquer is a seed of the horse chestnut tree yeah not the sweet chestnut tree so okay. here, here's the top 10. how to pre- well hold on how all to prepare right, your right, conquer right. play how to play conquers each player has a conquer hanging on its string Players take turns at hitting their opponent's conquer. Uh, if you are the one whose conquer is to be at first, let it hang down, blah, blah, blah. The winner is the one uh, who doesn't have a shattered conquer. So, yeah, so you, you have these chestnuts at the end of a string, and you smack the other chestnut on the end of the string with your chestnut on the end of the string. And wow. See who, who breaks it first. I'm That's averse, a traditional. I'm averse to commenting neg- <laughs> negatively on other people's culture, but that game sounds like it sucks. You know, there there are certain things uh, that you you maybe really can't I'm wrong. even you can't really even classify as culture, can you? Absolutely. What games children play? Hundred percent culture. I'm Definitely. saying it's just not culture. It's just shit. You're just saying it's bad. You're yeah. not, you don't approve of this culture. True. Oh well, no. I wouldn't. I mean, no, I don't. I, I approve of that culture. That's just not part of a culture. That's terrible. No, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun is all I'm saying. <laughs> I'm not, uh, you know, it's nice, you know, well, keep your tradition. So <laughs> here, here are the, uh, probably born in the, here are the, century, the, right? the top 10 in the big reads that okay. I was talking about, all the right. British ones. So Lord of the Rings, okay. number one of okay. all time. I can see that. Those are great books, but number one of all time of the British books. I, so, don't, I don't think England has a very deep chest or well of. Of literature? I don't think so. What in the. Not novels. Take plays away, take poetry away, and and look at look at novels. I, I'm astounded by this comment. I don't even know what to do with this comment. What they don't have anybody like Hemingway or Faulkner or uh, you know any. They have James Joyce. I mean, he's they, Irish, but he, he was Irish. he was living in the United Kingdom when he was a writer. 
He's in, well, in France, but, but what is Joyce on that list? I'm sure he is. But there's there's some Americans on here, though. This is not all British people. Mm. But number two, Pride and Prejudice. Mm. Fair enough. Um, his Dark Materials by Philip Pullman comes out at third. Huh. That's overplaced because it's recent. That's a recency yeah, bias. So. That does not deserve to be the number like three. Bram Stoker should be on there, right? Bram Stoker, also Irish, but yeah, should be on that list. Um, Hitchhiker's Guide to Galaxy number four. Harry Potter four, Goblet of Fire, is the number five book. Huh. That's not even my favorite Harry Potter book, although that's a good list? one. This is, this is like a like a crowdsource type of thing. Oh. To Kill a Mockingbird is number six. Winning the Pooh, huh. Winnie the Pooh, seventh. To Kill a mock- Mockingbird mm-hmm. is on the British list of... Yeah, that's just what British people like. They're not necessarily British books. Oh, that, okay. Right. Um, Winnie the Pooh, like I said, number seven. 1984 is Orwell. number eight. That's a good yeah. book. Yeah. George Orwell is a good writer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think Animal he's just... Farm. He's, he's a good writer. Yeah, he, he should Farm. be. He's, he's got Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis. Oh, C.S. Lewis, yeah. That's number nine. Jane Eyre. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of... But then, like, there's Birdsong. Number 13, Birdsong, Sebastian Folks. I'm not huh. familiar with that book. How yeah. is the number 13 book one I've never heard of? That's, maybe it's great, but I mean, I've never heard of it. Rebecca, Catcher in the Rye, number 15. Yeah. Wind in the Willows, Great Expectations, Little Women, Captain Corelli's Mandolin. What? Captain Corelli, I've heard, heard of that, actually. I've heard of that, yeah. but is that the 19th best book of all? I don't know. Yeah. There's some, this is some questionable stuff on here. But so there's a lot of, like I said, a lot of recency bias. There's a yeah. lot of what people have read recently. Dune. Watership Down. Uh, there's a lot of great British books, huh. man. I, I, I don't have, I'm not prepared to make that argument with you, but Frankenstein? I... Frankenstein's monster. Frankenstein, yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure, that's a British book. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not prepared to have that argument, but I feel like it's like if you made some other outlandish claim, it might just catch me so off guard that I'm not prepared to argue it. But I, there are a lot of great British novels. I didn't say that. I, I just said that, they're, you know, I don't think they have the well that American literature has. That's all. All right. <laughs> I just don't. <laughs> I mean, we I, have, we, I, and, I'm, and, I, and I'm excluding again. I mean, I'm Charles exclu- Dickens. I'm excluding invented the no- Invented the modern novel. Uh, He's got how many that he wrote himself? Sixteen. Sixteen Dickens novels, each one of them being like one of the greatest novels ever written. Mm. That's just one guy, George Eliot. Okay. You know, Jane Austen. We can we can agree. The Bronte to disagree. sisters. We can agree to All disagree. Right. All right. Well, I mean, I don't. I, I don't. I wouldn't hold, but I think the normal position would be the opposite, that Americans are not as... But no. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't agree with that. I think we have a lot of good novels in America, but I don't think there's any kind of, like, runaway in favor of America. Mm. I think we both have a lot to offer. Okay. Now, the Australians need to get on it. There's not a lot of novels coming out of Australia. There actually, actually are a couple from New Zealand. Czechoslovakia has nobody that I've ever heard of. Czechoslovakia has um, Czech the unbearable lightness of being. Okay. Um, what's that? Uh, Milan Kundera. Never it's heard famous. of it. It's a small country. I mean, what do you expect? <laughs> Norway's got that guy I was talking about, Nosgard. He wrote that eight-volume uh, yeah. My Life. Yeah. Uh, there's other Mine, people, Mine too. Kampf, yeah, yeah, there's other people, too. No, I think, I think whatever. I mean, what, I don't know. Uh, again, agree to disagree. But, uh, and I'm not, I'm not discounting. I'm not saying that, that those aren't all fantastic writers, authors, novelists whatever you want to call them, mm-hmm. um, or that they, they, they created you know, classic works of art. Not mm-hmm. saying that at all. Just saying we did more. But in any case. All righty then. Yeah, well. Not all the views on this podcast represent the views of Dave MacArthur. I just want to state that. <laughs> Have you ever heard of a white hole? No. 
So that was something I had to look up because I kind of was familiar with the idea. It's essentially the opposite of a black hole. It's like something that things can come out of into the universe. Oh, it's like maybe, maybe in a way it's kind of like the, op- the other end of a wormhole. <laughs> right, right. I don't really know why. Uh, you don't really hear that one talked about as much. But he, he uses it a couple of times huh. as a plot as a plot device. A couple of like he, when he, when the, when he says the thing that goes into the past and pops out and, and yeah. causes a war, right, right, it right. comes through a white hole. I see, I uh, see. which to me just sounds like a wormhole. But I don't know, it's a weird well, idea. That whole that actually that that concept right there is really interesting. Okay, interesting, in that, um, you know, he's talking about a thought. Okay, you know, being transmitted. So not not an actual object. It's, speech. It's speech. He says thought. something. Yeah. Well, but again, it's not physical. It's not something that's physical. It's it's an idea or it's oh. whatever you want to call when it. When I it's, speak, it's physical. Sound of my speech is a physical object. Okay. We're, we're physical manifestation. Oh, okay. I guess. It's I a guess. Ripple, ripple yeah. The sound, the sound wave. You know? Yeah. I guess you're right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. So it'd be like now you'd have to have air, right? In both places, right? And the whole point of the the bugs is that they're too small. When they attack the earth, they just get killed by a fly spotter because they're <laughs> right. tiny little creatures. Yeah. Could they hear what, what they, a human a, voice? Like a misinterpretation of size or something like that? Yeah, a, a miscalculation, miscalculation of size. Miscalculation of size. Yeah, yeah, basically. Led to a massacre. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, there's a um, – so this is something – okay, just one, one point that I keep thinking about with different mm-hmm. science fiction mm-hmm. that dates to the 70s especially and before that. Okay. So he talks about how the Earth is in a nondescript planet around a boring sun in mm-hmm. an unfashionable arm of the Milky Way galaxy. Right. And it's not as expressed as some of the other things, but there was this idea back then that the galaxy, everything great would be in the center of the galaxy. Right. And that the, the outsides where we live would be the boring areas. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, actually, what we've learned since then is that the center of a galaxy is a dead zone. Yeah. Like there's, there's a supermassive black hole moving away, emitting yeah. x-rays at levels right. that would kill everything anywhere near it. And right. nobody could live at the center of a galaxy. But like, there's so much sci-fi out there that, that is completely the opposite of that. Like I said, Asimov's foundation, Star Wars, mm-hmm. there's like the galactic core where the emperor lives. Right. In actuality, would be in the middle of a supermassive black hole and everybody be dead there. But that's the way that galaxy right. works because Luke lives on the outer rim. Mm-hmm. Um, which is where we are, mm-hmm. essentially. Right. Um, which is where life would be in reality. If there's life, it would not be anywhere near the core of a galaxy. And it's like a fundamental misunderstanding of cosmology that is in all this old sci-fi. Yeah. That you just have to throw out, and it like really is built into how these books work. Right. Um, well, they, the idea of the expanding universe, right? Everything's moving away kind of from each other, from the center. Yeah, the origin or whatever. Well, the whole galaxy would be yeah. moving. You don't really get you don't really get expansion within a galaxy. You get expansion of galaxies. Like we're in yeah, our yeah, our yeah. galactic cluster is, is moving yeah, yeah, away moving from away, other galactic right. clusters. Correct, you know, correct. like you don't really notice that. No, they weren't aware of that at all. Yeah. I mean, that that whole dark energy thing Sorry. was not an issue. Totally random aside. I just thought of another another uh, series, but I don't think it was ever booked. But the um, uh, Serenity um, mm-hmm. yeah. series. Yeah, yeah. Had had. It was it was it was a uh, funny Firefly. Fun, Firefly, Firefly was a yeah. show. Firefly, Serenity, Serenity movie, was right. a movie, right? It was never a book, right? Was there? A book? There is a, there are graphic novels and comics. Before no, oh, okay, no, no, no. all right. So no, the adapted the show. from the show okay. was the first thing. The okay. Show was original material. I was just trying to think of comedy, funny, yeah. sci-fi, and that one. Yeah, that, that one, one sort of, of that would be a great one to do as a classic because that's a really like cult show. It's a huge and I cult love show. That show, yeah, that show was terrific. 
That'd be a really fun one to do. But that you, that world is, I, you know, Joss Whedon wants to be writing a Star Wars movie yeah. in a lot of ways, like yeah. like Empire Strikes Back, like a Han Solo style. Right. Um, but the setting is much smaller scale in terms of inter, in terms of space travel. It's within a I, solar system. I think system. he did that for convenience sake. Because yeah, it, it, it's a yeah. series, right? And it was on, was it on uh, Sci-Fi Network? Is that where? It's no, it was on? on Network TV, I think. Was I think it? that was the whole problem. That's why it got canceled. Because oh, they got a okay. new a new head of the of this of the um network okay. and he just the guy just canceled the show okay. it was somebody else's project yeah i don't remember what network it was but i think it's huh. one of the big networks i guess it was replayed on sci-fi that's probably yeah. where yeah, i saw yeah, yeah, it yeah yeah that was a long time ago back when networks were relevant doing things doing yeah. anything so like babylon 5 was network and i think so yeah and uh, i never saw that by the way that's supposed did. to be really oh. good i haven't seen that but yeah i, I wasn't 100% clear on the setting of that it's so earth is gone on what? In uh, Firefly. In st- like, there's no think, Earth anymore. Yeah. They, they talk about Earth that was. Yeah. So they've, like, repopulated, and it's not our solar system, but it must be, like, a solar system near us that they've repopulated. Or they, I'm, I'm not. Or maybe I'm they not can kind of travel within. Yeah. I think they can kind of travel within, like, a 20 or 30 light year area. It's not, it's not like traveling to the other side of the galaxy, right. like in Star Wars. Um, so it's a little bit. Uh, they, don't really they're, get they're, I don't, they don't really talk about multiple galaxies either. No. We talk about different planets and where planets are right. and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So obviously multi-pla- multiple planets. But yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's kind of sort of bring this home, I guess. What's, sure. Um, what is your biggest surprise? Oh, my biggest surprise. So, so we've been kind of talking about it all along, but I read this so long ago. Um, I didn't remember that the plot is kind of weak. <laughs> like it's just kind of uh, – I didn't really remember much of yeah. it, and now I read it again. I'm like, well, this is why I didn't remember much of it. Yeah. It's, it kind of doesn't really go anywhere. The plot is not a strength. Yeah. The strength is there's a bit where they're about to get fired on by the missiles. The missiles are about to hit them, mm-hmm. and he jumps forward and tells what's going to happen with the missiles before it happens. It goes into, like, a funny diatribe talking about what's going to happen. Yeah. And it's funny. Like, what he writes is, is humorous, and you enjoy reading it, but it's like not for the purpose of plot the way you would. It's a weird right. choice if you were trying to like build yeah. any kind of tension or anything like that, like well, normal plotting. The, the stated purpose of that part is to release the tension is so that you don't get, just so you know. Right. You know, it's okay. Everything, right. everything turns right. out okay. Right. Just so you no, know. it's a choice. I know it's, a, it's 100% it's, it's, his choice. It's, and it's, yeah, but it's, it's the it's, strength and the weakness yeah. of this book. The yeah. strength is the writing, the style, the, the humor, mm-hmm. and the weakness is the plot. And yeah. he knows it, and he leans into it there, and he's just like, oh, I'm just going to tell a funny joke here. And this is, yeah. what, you know, and it, it's nonlinear. And so it's kind of a good example of what I'm talking about. My surprise is just, yeah, there's a reason why I didn't remember what happens in the <laughs> book, because it's not great. Right. You know, the, the actual story is just kind of, right. eh, you know, whatever. It, it's a funny world, you know, yeah. there's a lot of good jokes in it, but it's not a great plot. And that's why it doesn't work as a film. Well, mine would be that it, it started as a serial radio broadcast. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. This was a six-part serial radio broadcast that he then novelized. Um, yeah, I think I found that surprising, after, too. After, afterwards. I knew there was a serial. I, see, I didn't even know it. But I didn't and know that this that it more or less started in yeah, the serial format. It, yeah. So it started BBC radio, and he wrote like six episodes of this. They produced it, and then he turned that into a novel. Now, if you think about that, sort of makes sense, mm-hmm. right? Because you have a narrator, you have characters doing, I mean, right. it was like you know, BBC up until the late 70s, it was like 1920s America, right, where yeah. they would do the radio shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it kind of makes sense. I can see this being read aloud or performed, right, without seeing it, because, like, he tells you that 
Zaphod has two heads, blah, 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 all this other stuff. So I mean, right. he describes what's going on, and then you hear the dialogue. And the dialogue sounds like radio jabber, you know, like okay. radio back and forth, yeah. or, or you, you know, just dialogue. That's what you would have to have for a radio show is good dialogue. You can't you have... You think so? Or, yeah. Or could we just like sit around and talk and not have any plan for what we're going to say? We could do that. Yeah. I mean, that's... Or come up with some kind of very artificial like setting Gimmick. for a show. Yeah. Like yeah. A, like talking about classic right. something, this right. or that, and then having a drink. Gotta have something. Yeah. yeah. That'd be terrible. Who would do that? By you the way, what? I'm writing a novel based on every all the dumb <laughs> stuff we've said over the last But I mean, it, it works. It, I can see this as a radio show. I'd like to go... And I haven't. I didn't. But I, sh- I should have done that before this episode. But I'm going to go back and do it now. I'll bet you on, on YouTube you can probably find original broadcasts, like the original, just to, to see what they oh, sound I like. Oh, I think so. I Should, think so. You know, the show yeah. to see what they sound like. So that's probably my biggest surprise from this. And uh, as far as toasting, mm-hmm. are you going to toast this classic? It's not up to me. It's been foisted oh, upon you. I am not toasting this classic. Oh, man. I'm that's sorry. That's harsh. I'm sorry. It, it's, it's funny. I have it, to it, lodge it, it my is, complaints. Yeah, um, I consider this to be a classic. Uh-huh. Um but you know what? That's our rule. It's up to you. So, I, I you know, I, I like it. Mm. I, I don't, you know, and, and it's fun and it's funny. And, and not considering its influence. Well, I mean, that's the thing is we couldn't name You're not anything. considering all the different things we could talk about having read it. You said the well, hallmarks of a classic is all I'm saying. Well, I mean, you can do that with anything. But, I mean, I, I can't, uh. can't, I asked you, can you think of anything that, you know, specifically uh, was in line with this? Anything that specifically... You can point to and say that, you know, this influenced that. Um, I think that's my failing rather than... No, I uh, can't think of anything either. I, and I know yeah. I know a lot of... Sci- and I, I know really film and and TV more than more than books. And books is, I mean, sci-fi is one of your genres, but... And it is British, and we've already stated that I have, you know, I'm, I have a... Some kind deep, of weird Deep bias. hatred, yeah, apparently, for, have to for the British on that. I'm going to have to pick people. some good British stuff and teach you're, you. You're good at misinterpreting I'm gonna what I say. I'm going to have to learn you. I'm glad that we've established that. Yeah. Um, in any case... Uh, I, I, no, might, I, I might make you read Jane Austen. Oh, be careful. Oh, dude, be careful. I, I did careful. that in college. Yeah. I have a... I have a BA in lit. Remember? I get I get a book eventually. <laughs> I get to choose another book eventually. I, I do have a BA in literature, so I right. bring it on. I would I will say though that that I love his story. I love his story, the author's mm. story, Doug Adams' story. He thought of this title the first time when he was like drunk in a field in Germany or something like that, uh, staring up Innsbruck, at the stars. Austria. Austria. I say that okay. because I've been okay. there actually. I know that. Staring time. up at the stars and, and with a with a copy of uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to Europe in his pocket and thinking, you know what? There's got to be a Hitchhiker's, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And then and then he's quoted as saying he doesn't remember telling that story. Right. <laughs> doesn't remember that happening, but it may have. And, uh, But I also liked, you know, his story is filled with ups and downs. Like he worked as a bodyguard because he couldn't sell his writing. Right. You know, I'm a writer. I do it professionally. You're a writer. And yeah. it's it's hard. I notice to, you don't say I do it professionally. <laughs> that yet. hasn't happened yet. Not yet. You guys but are going it, to love it. it. You guys uh, are going to love it when you read it, though. And uh, you know it's it's tough, man. It is tough. I've got yeah. I've got a book out with a publisher right now that is it's been re- I can't I don't know how many times it's been rejected. It's been rejected you know more times than than I've kept track of, obviously. Yeah. Um, and and 
by the way, like that sounds like you're self-deprecating, but that means nothing about no. the quality of your work. Somebody told well, J.K. Rowling she got a le- she got a note back from an agent telling her giving her the name of like a writing class. Yeah, that you, she don't, could you don't know how to write. Yeah, and that happens all the time. So, you know, you just need to find the right editor. The uh, yeah, that's right. You know, at the, at the right the right time editor, and, the right mood that day. Yeah, you know, all that stuff, and right it's agent, it's really difficult. You know. And so I, his story speaks to that, where he kind of sold stuff right away and then didn't sell anything for a long time mm-hmm. and had to take odd jobs and stuff. And that is a story of, of create, creating art, you know, uh, no matter what you do, if it's music or writing or, or painting, that's the story. Say, I, I have like to that. say about Douglas Adams, this is the best thing he ever wrote. This is, this is good. I, um, I enjoyed it. So, yeah. uh, and, and I think that's shown by the rest of the books in this series. Each one of the books, the title is just a line from this first book. Oh, I got it. Every single yeah. one of them. So it's like that. Oh, cool. N- Restaurant at the End of the Universe, even. He mentions yeah. they're going there at right. the end of this book. Life, the universe, and everything is what Deep Thought is thinking right. about. So long and thanks for all the fish is what the dolphins say before they leave Earth right. in this book. Mostly Harmless is the edited version of Ford Prefix's 15-year article about the Earth right. in the Hitchhiker Guide. <laughs> Mostly to the- Harmless, yeah. Yeah. That's all he says about it. Yeah. I like the Don't Panic. Yeah, that's good. That's don't good. Panic. That should yep. be on everything. That's a Coldplay song. Yes, that's yeah. right. It is. Well, so, we thank you for joining us on. Uh, so we've y- come up with some musical influences. We have. We know. We know it's big on Radiohead. <laughs> we know it's big on uh, uh, Coldplay. So I don't know if that quite counts. Still not a classic. Yeah, st- well, still no. not a classic. Is this part of it? Arm twisting at the um, end of it? I don't know. I'm just just pleading my case. <laughs> it's not as if I'm a professional at doing that. I think you turned down some of my things in the past, haven't you? Is this the first? This can't be the first one that we had we sort toast. of a I didn't like the book, but uh, what was the thing that we talked about where we were like, I, I'm I'm uh Mel Brooks. I was oh, like oh, okay. I'm definitely toasting Mel Bro- early Mel Brooks oh, in oh, general, oh, okay. but not specifically Blazing Saddles. Blazing Saddles, so, yeah. That one hurt me. Yeah. Well uh, that, uh, cut know. me to the quick. Yeah. I mean yeah. I think most people consider that a classic. In my opinion, not so much. So you you can say that. You can say Okay. That. Well I don't feel as bad you now. Can fly in the face of all He's giving opinion. me these doe eyes right yeah. now. But in any case, you can but, do well, what you want. but I will toast you, uh, co-host, and I will toast right. uh, our audience. And thanks for joining us. Toasting the classics, the All concept right. of classics in general. We're That's, toasting right. <laughs> That's right. That's so. right. And uh, please join us next time. Oh, what are we doing next time? So we just did book. Mm-hmm. Next time is movie. Yeah. And I believe it's up to my friend Clint. That's right. So I am doing a classic of Japanese animation. Mm-hmm. Uh, if any of you 80s children remember this, like me, uh, the classic movie is Akira. Okay. And uh, can't wait to talk about it. So join us next time. I'll be bringing in, obviously. <laughs> I'll be bringing in some, uh, obviously, uh, some influence libation. And, uh, yeah, have a great day. Peace out. See you next time. All right, bye. That's it for episode 10 of Toasting the Classics. For those playing along at home, get some Hitachi no white beer for next week's episode where we'll be talking about the 1988 anime blockbuster Akira. If you'd like to get in touch, send us an email at toastingtheclassics at gmail.com. Send us show ideas, your comments and complaints, whatever. Check out my blog at theattractivenuisance.com and follow us on Twitter at at reactivenuisance. Our music was written by Michelle MacArthur. See you next time on Toasting the Classics. (laughs) 